serve Him. Amen. Please be seated. Ah, good morning to you. Oh, it's good, good, good to see you in the house of the Lord. I want to share with you an experience we had, um, Effie and I, uh, when our youngest daughter, our seventh daughter, graduated from high school. Uh, there were several of our other uh, Christian friends that we grew up with in our ch- home church, and uh, they were, we were all similar age, k- kids in a similar state, and they said, hey, let's go celebrate. Let's go celebrate. That's a big moment. So we said, sure, how are we going to do it? And it says, let's go on a cruise. Let's go on a cruise. And we said, cruise? We had never been on a cruise before. And so we said, uh, okay, we're game. We'll go on the cruise. And so we went on a cruise from, uh, from uh, Vancouver all the way up to Alaska and back. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful time that we had. It was truly a fantastic experience. Uh, let me give you an idea how great it was. 24-hour food service. I knew you Singaporeans would like that, Okay. 24-hour food service. And then we had just unlimited uh, service from the crew. Uh, from the crew. Uh, there were hundreds of people on that ship that were hired specifically to see to our every whim and wish. And so everywhere we went on the ship, there would be people that would stop us from the crew, and they would say, can we help you in any way? Can I get you anything? Can I do this? Can I do that? It was fantastic. I remember especially one incident was that uh, the maid service that we had for our cabin. And uh, I left the room, and I just walked down a couple of doors, and I knocked on my uh, door of my friend, a uh, cruise mate, my, my, my dear friend, and we talked for just a few minutes. And I went back to my room, and my bed was made. Incredible, you know? And so, you know, everything was taken care of for us. And uh, it was just a wonderful experience to be served and not have to serve others, okay? And so uh, it was just, made a, you know, just made an indelible mark on us. Now, as I got back home, things were different. <laughs> things were different, you know? So our children would say, Daddy, I need you to do this, I need you to do that, and have you done this, and have you done that? And suddenly I said, what happened? What happened, you know? And, and so it, suddenly our life was just changed back to normal. And unfortunately, normal is the same way for the church, you know, because in many churches today, the idea is that we come to be served and not to serve, you see. We carry this cruise ship mentality instead of carrying a battleship mentality. And so we come and we go and we have these expectations and we have these hopes and we say to ourselves, how well was I served today as we leave the church, you see. And that's how, the, that's how it infects the church and it creeps into the church. It doesn't start out right that way. It gets covered up in all kinds of camouflage, but then it begins to unveil itself. And sure enough, before we know it, we have a full-blown infection going on. And so God wants us to have this idea of serving one another. And the church needs to recover that sense of service and servanthood. But in order for that to happen, we have to understand some and embrace and practice some basics about spiritual service. You see, there's a lot of things that we have to overcome. There's a lot of things that we have to readjust. There are things that we have to change in our, in our heart and in our mind if we are fully going to uh, be a servant of the Lord. 
Now, this is all part of our series on what does the Bible say about the church. And so we've traveled far and long, and we've heard many different things. We've learned a lot, but prayerfully, now's the time to live what we have learned. And so this is the whole point of these things, is that as God speaks to us, that they become a part of our life. They become part of our spiritual DNA, if you will. And so what have we heard and what have we seen thus far? Well, if you look in your bulletins, they're written out for you uh, all the way through uh, 1 through 7. And then last week, we talked about the unity of the church. And what the Bible says is that the unity of the church, what we have to embrace and practice and understand is that it is attached to our calling as being children of God, being God's people. There is a demand that we have a certain character, and this character promotes unity in the body of Christ. It doesn't promote division. It doesn't promote selfishness. It promotes, if anything, it promotes selflessness, you see? And so this is what we learned last week. But this week we're talking about the service of the church. And so it behooves us then to go into God's word and see what the Bible says about this whole business of being a servant of the Lord. And so a good place to start is the heart of service, the heart of service. And if you turn with me in uh, the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, we'll begin our study there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Now, a little bit about the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is a fantastic book. The book of Galatians has almost been called a baby book of Romans, okay? Because the themes in there are very similar. What are the themes of the book of Romans? What are some of the major themes in the book of Galatians? And one of them, that, uh, the, the theme that seems to run, the big picture theme that runs through these books is the idea of freedom, the idea of freedom in Christ. And so the book of Galatians helps us to understand that, and it proclaims that salvation from the penalty and power of sin comes not by works, but by grace through faith in God's provision, Jesus Christ. And so it lays that justification by faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross and accomplished by dying uh, for our sins and rising again from the grave. And so uh, this becomes, in, it's, a, it's, a, it's a foundational truth. It's something that gets us kick-started in this whole business of having a relationship with God. But then the books of uh, Galatians and Romans both, they go further, and they tell us about the freedom that we have in Christ. And so in chapter 3 and 4, Paul contended for the true doctrine of grace, that is for justification by faith alone. Finally, to show that Christian liberty does not mean license, the apostle in chapters 5 and 6 taught that a Christian should live by the power of the Holy Spirit, that when he does so, he manifests in his life, not the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. A lot of words, all that to say what? It says that we are free. We are some, we've entered into a state of freedom which allows us to live a completely different life than we had before. You see? And so this is why Galatians is such a precious book. And so it is in this book, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, that we read such passages as this. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But, to do, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. This is the New International Version. And so hidden in this book is a, is a and in this verse is a command, a mandate to serve. 
a mandate to serve, okay? And there's three parts to this mandate. It doesn't come out as just a, a straight order, but rather it is unfolded. It is unfolded for us. It's like looking at a gift and opening the wrapping. It comes out. So what is the first part of the wrap that comes off? Is that it involves a call to freedom, a call to freedom. It says in that verse there, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Well, free from what? Well, for this, we would have to take a long time, and we'd have to go through the book of Romans, book of Galatians, and many other passages. But let me summarize it. The Bible tells us that we, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are free from the guilt of sin. Why? Because we've experienced God's forgiveness. We no longer have that guilt hanging over our heads. We are free from the penalty of sin. Why? Because Christ died on the cross for us. I put it this way. It's like if I took you to lunch. I took you to lunch. I took you to dinner. I took you to a banquet. Okay? And so there we're enjoying this fabulous meal, and the bill comes, and I take the bill. I have paid the bill. You don't pay the bill. I've paid the bill. And in much the same way, God has paid the bill for our sins by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. So we're free of the penalty of sin, the payment that comes for sin. We are free from the power of sin in our daily lives. Why? Because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And we are also free from depending on the law to change and control our sin nature. We are free from uh, the, the burden, the, 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 the almost insatiable demands of the law that says you must do this and you must do that in order to be righteous before God. We are free from that. Why? Because Christ has died on the cross for us. And so all of this freedom comes to us. How important is this freedom? In the United States, there are many sports. You know that. There's, there's many sports. And, and, um, and, and uh, anybody who knows anything about sports knows that at a certain point in a game, there's a thing that they call the game breaker, the game changer, if you will. Something happens. A penalty is called on somebody. It's a game changer. The whole game changes on that. A goal is scored, and it just bring, launches a tsunami of other scores. It's a game changer. The freedom we have in Christ is a game changer. It changes how we can live. It changes what we can do. And so this is what is included here. You are called to freedom. You are called to live a life uh, uh, differently. You are called to live a life that is not governed by rules and regulations, but rather by the ministry of the Holy Spirit within you. That's why Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 becomes so important. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, for I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. A different kind of life. But then you notice here that very quickly Paul puts a caution in here. There's a call and there's a caution. And the caution is this, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Okay, he says, and so he says, now that you have been free, don't go off and use this opportunity to feed your lust, to feed your flesh, the desires of your flesh. 
You and I have that choice. Once we accept Christ, it doesn't mean that our sin, our desire to sin, has disappeared. It is, it is still with us, and it is strong as ever. And we have to face it, and we have to deal with it. And so Paul says, don't use this freedom, this, this, uh, uh, this uh, emancipation from these rules and regulations to go off in sin, he says. He says, rather, uh, use it for something else. The Warren Wearsby puts it this way so beautifully. He says, Christian liberty or freedom is not a license to sin, but an opportunity to serve. You can hear that? It says, Christian liberty is not a license to sin. It's not a free pass to sin. It's not permission to sin, but an opportunity to serve. So we have this opportunity to do something good rather than to do something bad. And then it goes from this caution, he goes into the actual command. And so the command reads, rather serve one another in love, it says. The uh, command then is serve one another. And this basic concept of serving others is huge in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the concepts of serve, servant, and serving appear in different forms, over 300 times in the New Testament alone. How do you know and I know what is important to somebody? It's how many times they repeat it. It's how many times they repeat it. Let me give you an example. How do I know something is important to my wife? It's how many times she repeats it. It's how many times she repeats it. How, many, how do I know what is important to my children? It's how many times they repeat it. How do I know what's important to the, to the people in my congregation? How many times you repeat it? You see? And God says, I got something very important. And he keeps repeating it. And he keeps repeating it. Different ways, different words, but the same concept. And so in the same way, that is what he has done here. So serve, servant and serving are repeated over 300 times. And he uses one of the strongest words in the uh, Greek language to express this when he refers to servant. And it's the word doulos. And it means, uh, in its different forms, it means a slave or a servant. And so when he uses this, he's not kidding around. He's talking about a person who obeys and submits with devotion. And so the many passages that we have in the New Testament, they could have used servant. And some of the translations use servant. But perhaps many of them, uh, in context, if you look at it, the word slave is much more appropriate because of the demands that he makes, you see. And so slave becomes a very important concept in this whole serving one another completely. And then he says, do it in love. God wants us to live lives governed by freedom from rules and regulations, but doing it out of true love for another person. We can do things for others, not because we have to obey some rule or uh, uh, regulation, some kind of obligation, but because we want to do it out of love for them. Let me show you the difference, okay? Uh, you, 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 why do I do what I do for my children, okay? And why do you do what you do for your loved ones, okay? For example... Um, uh, as the kids were growing up, they began to get into everything and, uh, as teenagers. And so I became a chauffeur. I became a professional driver for my children. 
And so, Daddy, take me here. Daddy, take me there. And so I would come, and I'd drive him, vroom, 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 vroom. You know, what time do you want me back? And we didn't have cell phones, so, you know, just be there, you know, and all that. So we zoom, 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 zoom. So that's what we did, okay? So people would come up to you and say, oh, wow, you have so many children. Don't you ever get tired of doing this for your children? You know? And I said, no. And they said, what? You don't get tired? Why not? And I would say, because I love them. Because I love them. You see? I mean, you don't do it because you have to do it. No. I do it because I love them. You see? Love is a powerful motivation. It is a superior motivation to just doing things out of some kind of rule or regulation or obligation. You see? And so this is exactly what Paul's trying to say to us. He says, when you serve, do it for the highest motivation, the highest, the most noblest of virtues is because you love them, you see? And he says, do that. And this same, it would be the same for not only between parents and children, but between husbands and wives, uh, between um, uh, children and their parents, and so on and so forth, you see? It all goes, it filters down through the whole thing. And he says, serve one another with love. This is very important. Now, there's two applications here I want to point out to you. Number one is that this is a tough, to be a servant is a tough sell to a modern society. Anywhere you go, and there's a modern society, almost any society, you'll find that asking people to be a servant or a slave is really a tough sell. You're not going to get too many volunteers. You're not going to get too many people say, I'll be that, I'll do that, I'm willing to do that. You see? Because we want to be served rather than to serve. Most societies are built, and most human beings operate by the uh, unholy trinity, which is me, myself, and I. That is the one that they operate by. And everything is governed by satisfying me, myself, and I. And so who wants to serve when you can be served? And so that's why people come. But yet, and across the pages of the Bible, the Holy Scripture, and across the, the, the pattern of Jesus' life, he was continuously a servant. He was a servant. And he argues for this, like, for example, in John fifteen twenty, John 15, verse 20. And he reminds his disciples, remember the word that I said to you? A slave is not greater than his master. You're not greater than me. You are going to be like me, he says. And what is he? If you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 27, and he says, for, those, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You see? And so against this grain, against all modern way of thinking, we call it modern, but it's been with us an awful long time, is this whole idea of being a servant. Okay? It's a tough sell, but nevertheless, it is true. A second application to this is the person who says to themselves, I can't be a servant. It's not in me. That's not the way I was raised. That's not the way I think. That's not the way I operate. It wasn't the goal of my life to be a servant to anybody or anything. You see? When they come to me and they, they express that type of feeling, Pastor, it's really difficult what you're asking, uh, what God is asking us to be and to do. I, I just can't be a servant. It's not in me. It's not part of my DNA. What's my answer to them? What's your answer to them? 
I lean forward, I look them in the eye, and I say, it is now. It is now. Because why? Because your DNA has been changed forever by Jesus Christ coming into your life and the Holy Spirit taking residence in your life. You can become a servant. You can do the work of a servant. Why? Because God has come in and changed your life. You see? And so when people sit out there and say, I can't be this, I can't be that, I can't do it. Oh, yes, you can. You can now if you've truly accepted Christ as your Savior and you're serious about following him. So the mandate, uh, to, the mandate of service comes through a call and it comes through um, this idea of a caution and this idea of a commandment. And so we serve one another and it's possible because of freedom that comes with putting our faith and trust in Christ and his work on the cross. It makes it all possible for us to serve one another with love. But it doesn't stop there with just a command, okay? It doesn't stop there because I know that you have many questions and I have many questions. Okay, so I am to serve, but how am I going to do this? And so what are the means available? The means of service then have to be brought forth. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's not only found there. There are other places as well. Uh, Romans, uh, the book of uh, Romans, the book of Ephesians, the book of 1 Peter. They all throw uh, spiritual light on this whole teaching of uh, spiritual gifts and the means by which we are to serve. But, and I know that you have heard many messages from many good people about the gifts, and it's not my intent to go through the whole passage. But let me just point out a few things that God has brought to my attention, and I'd love to share them with you, please. Uh, first of all, what is a spiritual gift? What is a spiritual gift? And so Warren Wearsby helps us to understand this, and he says a spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that God, Christ is glorified and believers are edified, okay? And so you, when you see this, you, 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 you begin to, to, it becomes a little bit clearer, okay? So the quote by Warren Wearsby, I believe there's a slide on that, please. Could you... Could you show that one up, please? A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and believers are edified, built up in the faith. They are touched. They are moved. They are motivated. They are changed. They are committed uh, to the things of God. The second thing I would share with you is the word gifts, gifts. It's interesting that God didn't say God gives you certain skills, He didn't say, I give you certain skills. I don't give you certain talents or personalities. He didn't say that. He said, I gave you gifts. And what is it about gifts that stands out? Number one is that it is something given. It is something given. A gift is something given. It is not earned, nor is it sometimes deserved. Okay? Nor is it sometimes deserved. And so sometimes we sit out there and we say, oh, God's given us these gifts. Oh, wow, you know, you know it's about time God noticed me. And, you know, you know, no, that's not the attitude. It's a gift. It's been given by God. And it was, it's something that he wants you to use and use for him. A second observation is that they are sovereignly and supernaturally bestowed by us on the Holy Spirit, on all believers. 
This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then again in verse 11, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So they are sovereignly and supernaturally bestowed upon us by the Holy Spirit. They also could be separated into three general categories. Three general categories. If you look at the list of gifts in verses 8 to 10, it's quite extensive. But like I said, there are other passages with other gifts. And some gifts appear in those lists that don't appear here. Okay? But many are the same. So if we had to divide them up, let's choose perhaps this one is convenient. One is called the speaking or more verbal gifts, (laughs) okay? These are the speaking gifts. And so those will be prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, teaching, uh, and giving exhortation. Then there would be a category called serving or less verbal gifts. These would be leadership, helps, giving giving mercy, faith, and discernment, okay? Now, I looked at leadership, and I said, how on earth can leadership not be a verbal, a verbal gift? The reason is because some people don't, some people lead by their life. They don't lead by their mouth, you see. And so, it's one of those kind of gifts. And so, it is a less verbal gift. And then there's those, these two categories, speaking and serving gifts, are probably the ones that are what we would call the most normal or the, mo- the ones that are still present with us today in the church. Then there's a third category, which we would call the sign or less normative gifts. These would be miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation of tongues, okay? And what we're saying here is they're not the normal gifts that God show, uh, uses or shows up, but they could be show up here and there, okay? And so uh, we just call them the less normative gifts. They, could per- they showed up in the early church mostly as temporary gifts, okay? And so these are the uh, kinds of uh, categories you might want to use. And then uh, another characteristic is that they are set for a purpose, In verse 7, we read common good. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, we read, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And so God didn't give us these gifts so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, Oh, goody, I got this gift, and you only have that gift. (laughs) He didn't give us that, all right? He He didn't do this to build us up in that sense. He gave it to us so that we could build everybody around us up, including the church. And then lastly, the gifts are all, I, that I would point out to you is that they are all significant. They are all significant. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, starting, uh, with, um, starting with verse uh, 23, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so they're all significant, folks. They're all significant. They're all needed in order to make the body healthy. Now, 
I was pounding my brain trying to say, how could I drive this home to people? And as it were, as God would have it, there were some magazines I had, and I was looking at some pictures, and they were pictures of people who were missing pieces of their body. For example, there were pieces of people who were missing their legs, okay? And so they had to walk with the help of crutches. And there were people who lost an arm. There were people who had big Band-Aids on their face because they lost an eye or an ear and something like that. And in much the same way, not having you and me as part of actively serving the body of Christ is like having a part of the body missing. It's like having a body that is missing an eye, a part of the body missing an ear, a part that's missing an arm or a leg. It is not complete. It is not able to fully and fully capable of operating as it should. You see? And so some people in here, I'm sure they're saying to themselves, I look around and I see so many people. There are so many arms. There are so many legs. There are so many other eyeballs in here. There are so many ears here. They don't need me. It's just like having a part of the body with a part missing when you are here but you're not serving. You see? Can you get, do you get the picture? You see? And so you are needed. You see? And so this is uh, what God has put together. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and supplies the means of serving one another by giving us spiritual gifts. Now, no... No message, no, no teaching on service can go without some uh, recognition of rewards. The rewards of service, the rewards for service. And so if you look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 22, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 24, uh, listen to these precious words from the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. And it says there, Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, people will argue left and right about what is the inheritance of the reward. But perhaps a good summary statement is given to us by John MacArthur. And it says, a just, a just and eternal compensation for your efforts. Because of the nature of God, we can be assured that that reward that God will be giving to us will be a just one. We will not be shortchanged, okay? It will be an appropriate reward for what we do. God does reward. Well, then the question comes up is that how do we know with so many people in the world and so many people doing things for God, maybe God will forget me, (laughs) Maybe God will somehow lose me in the paperwork (laughs) or something like that. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints, he says. 
So God will reward. God will not forget whatever we do. And so that is the reason for rejoicing. That is the reason for rejoicing. But is that the only reward that we get for serving the Lord faithfully? You see, if all it is is that only reason I'm serving is because I'm looking forward to that day when I'm going to go to heaven and God's going to call my name and I'm going to walk across that heavenly stage and receive whatever this is, that's not going to hold me through the difficulties of serving people, all right? Better still is that God God is glorified. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. A reward in itself is that God is glorified. A reward in itself is that God is glorified. Okay. And so this is what happens to us. We don't serve for just some personal award but we serve and we are rewarded by the fact that God is glorified. Wow, that is supremely incredible idea. That God was glorified through some little thing that I did? You betcha, you see? And that brings a great reward for ourselves. Our our motivations for serving God have to be right. By keeping the goal of glorifying God in the forefront of our hearts and minds, it will help us see past the criticisms and negativity that often accompany serving others. And so we have to have something more than just personal rewards and awards to keep us going. And that is the glory of God. That is what ought to keep us going. Now, you've heard all of this. You've heard all of this now. So how will you respond? Can we all agree on something before we leave here? I, I know it's difficult for more than, if there's one, more than one person in a room, it's tough for people to agree, okay? It's really tough, okay? But can we agree on one thing when we leave this room? And that is that God, we should serve God. We should serve God. Okay, look at Luke chapter 4. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 8. This is just one of many places, but look at Luke chapter 4, verse 8, okay? It says there, Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only, okay? No exposition needed, no fancy Greek footwork or any of that. It's right there, right in front of us. It says we ought to serve God, okay? We should serve God. So let's agree on that. But then the biggest question is not, should we serve God? The biggest question is, do we want to serve God? You see, that puts a different light on things. Do we really want to serve God? I know I should, but do I really want to do it? And so this becomes a big problem for people. Because people, when they walk into a church, when people become a part of the church body, they already know they should serve God, but... I don't want to. 
I don't want to for any number of reasons. So how can I get over that hurdle? How can I get over that obstacle? Well, let me give you three things that might be helpful here. How can you want to serve God more? Number one, see service to God as an extension of your worship of God, okay? When we think of worship, we often think of certain acts and expressions. For example, we think of attending church. We think of singing. We think of of, uh, looking upwards. We think of praising God and, and, and all kinds of things like that. And so to us, that is worship. That is worship. But is that all there is to worship? Nah, there's more to it. Look at Romans chapter 1, 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And it says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of, of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable service of what? What does it say there? Worship. Worship. This was fantastic truth that came. Our good friend, Anthony Evans, wrote this in his book when he talks about service. And he says, if we are not serving God, we haven't finished worshiping God. You see, that's the problem with many churches today. You come, you put in your time, you put in your 40 minutes, 50 minutes at church, and you sing, and you do this, and you do that, and whatever it is that you think you do, and then you say, I've worshiped God. Ah! It goes on with serving God. You see? And so, if we are not serving God, we haven't finished worshiping God. That's the first thing. Second thing, see service to God as part of your fulfilling God's intention of making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And so the minute that you and I are saved, God is in the process of making us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we become more of a servant for the Lord, as we adapt the heart of a servant and the acts of a servant, we are being transformed. Jesus Christ was definitely a servant. We read earlier Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 and talks about him being a servant. And so we are to be more like Christ. We are to be more like a servant. Number three, see service to God as an awareness and appreciation of God's mercy, grace, and love in our lives. The Apostle Paul had this idea. If you look at 1 Timothy, in the book of 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul gives this wonderful testimony of his life, and he says it this way, in verse, starting with verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ. You see, what happens is that oftentimes believers will profess profusely. They will uh, profess very passionately that they are so grateful to God for his salvation. 
okay? The offer of salvation. They'll swear on a stack of Bibles, okay? They will swear on a warehouse of Bibles that they are so grateful to be saved by God. They're so grateful for the mercy and grace and love that was shown to them. Service for God is a way to show it, to express this appreciation, to show this gratitude. And so are you truly thankful for the mercy, grace, and love of God that, that he has shown you? If so, then serve him. If so, then serve him. You see? Well, people will say, ah, but pastor, you know, I'm more of a background person. Another guy says I'm more of a forefront person. Can I say it to you the same way I said to the first service? Background foreground, whatever you do, get off the playground, (laughs) all right? Because that's exactly what happens to a lot of churches. They become gigantic playpens. And what happens is people come to church to play rather than to serve God and to serve one another. You see? And that's why the churches have grown weak and the churches have lost their power is because people are still on the playground and they are not on the back, in the background or in the foreground. Now, whether you're on the foreground or a background is between you and God. Okay? Let me put it another way. Serve God in a small way. Serve God in a big way. But by all means, serve God some way. All right? And so, we don't have a problem with understanding we should serve God, but we have a gigantic problem of wanting to serve God. And it comes from the heart. If your heart is right with God, this will flow from you, and you will want this, and you will naturally want to serve God. You see? And when that happens, the church becomes a truly beautiful place. So to pull us all together, God has freed us to serve one another in love in his church. He's he's given us new DNA. He's given us a new life. He's freed us from the old and given us something new. Our service will meet the needs and bring glory to God, hopefully, when everything is said and done. And that comes with understanding the heart behind our service and the means of doing our service and the rewards for doing faithfully doing our service uh, to the Lord. And that will help keep us going. Let me conclude with some questions and statements, if you would, please. The first one is God wants you to serve him. God wants you to serve him. God is waiting for you to serve him. Now the question is, what do you want? And what are you waiting for? You see, God's church is not a cruise ship, my friend. God's church is a battleship. And we need all hands on deck. Let's pray. Father, we pray that among the sins that you would free us from, is the sin of apathy and lethargy. So often, Lord, churches are composed of a small handful of people earnestly, faithfully 
serving you with all of their heart, mind, and soul. And then there's a, another percentage, unfortunately a significant percentage, that is caught in a web of apathy and lethargy. And Father, we, are, we have grown too comfortable in that. And Lord, we pray that you will free us from that. Unleash us, Lord. Unleash GBC to be all that you intended it to be. A battleship for you. In Jesus' name, amen.